bankrupt. Second Kings 4.1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant my husband is dead. Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. The relationship between master and the bondservant or slave was much different than the images we may have of slaves in the United States years ago. The following record tells how Israelites were to be treated that were sold into slavery because they could not pay off their debts. In the case above, they were having to pay off their father's debts. They were, in our terms, bankrupt. God's law allowed them to be sold into slavery to pay off the debt. Better than debtor's prison, situations are much different than the times we live in. In the following record, which is part of the law, they should have learned not to go into debt. Deuteronomy 15, 12-18 And if thy brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go out free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock, out of the floor, out of the winepress. Of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee in thine house, because he is well with thee, then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee, for he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. In some cases, the servant's life was so much better as a slave or a servant or a bondman than the life that he had before that he wanted to stay working for his master. At times, these people were relatives and became the main steward or manager of the master's affairs. To get an idea of what a servant's duties would entail, we can read about Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, not because of debt, but because of envy. Who needs enemies when you have such a loving family? Genesis 39, 1-6 And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hand of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Interesting. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat.
and Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. These servants, stewards, or slaves were well-trained. In today's time, we might call them a manager. They were to always keep their eye on their master when he was around. Remember the record in the Gospels where Jesus says you cannot serve two masters? You cannot keep your eye on two masters at the same time. We either serve God or the systems of the world. We cannot serve both. Psalm 123 verse 2 has an interesting record. Behold, the eyes of the servants look into the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female servant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God, until he is gracious to us, from the New American Standard Bible. Proverbs 6.13 says, He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teaches with his fingers. Although this verse is in a negative context, the servants were trained to keep their eyes on their masters so intently that all the master had to do was to give them a signal, and the servant would respond. This is similar to how we as God's children are to keep our eyes on our Father. The first step of keeping our eyes on our Father is to believe and walk upon his word. Another example of stewards in the Bible is Luke 16. Luke 16, 1, And he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. The emphasis in all these records is their service to their master. In some cases, they ran the business affairs of the master, as in the case of Joseph. Part of their job would be to see that the household ran smoothly and to see that the master prospered in his business affairs. Their service was to their master. Now, the master was obligated to take care of his servant. The care of the servant was all part of the culture of the lands and times of the Bible. God did not record much about the care of the servant because the Bible is an Eastern book, and Eastern people were familiar with these customs. He provided them with a home, income, a donkey to ride, medical care, school for their children. But the emphasis in the Bible is not on how well the master took care of the steward, but the emphasis is on the steward's servant to the master. Some have said it's God's obligation to make sure that we prosper in our relationship with God as sons. This is interesting because that attitude slightly twists things so that we are absolved of responsibility when it comes to prosperity. Many people buy homes that are the maximum that the bank will loan. If they lose their job and cannot find another, they're out on the street. The average car payment, according to experts, is five to $600 per month, and some people make two such payments. In addition, their credit cards are charged to the max. Is it entirely God's responsibility to make sure that all the payments are made on time? Is this being a good steward of the funds God gives us by paying so much of our income as interest to the bankers? Not. This is serving the systems of the world. This is how people get into financial trouble and go bankrupt. Others have said you can tell how close to God a person walks or how great a servant they are by how God has prospered them. Really? That is how the Pharisees felt in the Gospels. They were so concerned about their prosperity, they were willing to rob widows of their money. They thought by being very prosperous, it showed God's favor on their life. 
Yet God said they were covetous, lovers of money, and lovers of the praise of men more than lovers of God. Think about the great apostle Paul. He obviously walked close to God, and yet he said he had to work so that he would not be chargeable to others. In the Old Testament times, including the gospel era, the closest relationship a person could have with God was that of a servant. It's a similar relationship to that of a master and a slave. These servants were expected to work in the service to God. This servant relationship with God would be for all people that wanted to serve God and would have included the prophets, the priests, the Levites, and many other believers. They worked in service to God in many different ways, including with their finances. Now, with the slaves sold because of their debts, the master would have had to take the time to train the new slave or servant on how to manage the master's business. Remember, they were sold into slavery because they were bankrupt and were sold as slaves to work off their debt. The slave obviously had violated many financial principles that God put in his word. These people were full of bad financial habits and wrong thinking. The master would have had to educate them on the fundamental principles of handling money in a godly manner and the fundamental principles of business so that there would be good profit at the end of the year when the books were opened. The servants could have been trained by the master in face-to-face -face setting or by some of his already trained servants or perhaps by being with the master day after day. There would be a lot of changing of the mind and changing of the heart. Sometimes changing the mind is mentally painful. It turns out that being sold into servitude could be a great benefit to some in Israel. In this process, the new servant could learn how to manage money responsibly. They may have learned many things about running a profitable business. This process can take quite a while. But the new servant had six to seven years in which to learn. He would have had to learn new thinking patterns about how money works. For instance, what to do when emergencies arise. He would have had to learn not to borrow money, to tithe and give, to save some of the income. He would have had to learn how to invest or trade so that his master's money increased. He would have to have learned how to reorganize his financial life. He may have had to learn how to interact with business clients better, how to dress appropriately. Many of these things are spoken of in the book Breaker's Rules for Contractors. These processes sound simple, but they're not part of most people's everyday lives. They are of the most benefit if the servant humbles himself and becomes teachable. It's one thing to sit through a weekend seminar and learn. It's something else to have a complete change of mind and heart where you would never go back to how you conducted your life before. That takes time. That takes growing to where you can actually see the benefit. It takes being there with the teacher and seeing how the new processes work and their results. During the seventh year of servitude, he could decide to stay as a servant if he felt his life was far better with his master than his life had been before. And the master agreed that the servant had learned enough to now be an asset to the master's business. It reminds me of one of the parables in the Gospels where the goodman of the house left for a while and gave four of his servants certain amounts of money. It was test time to see how far they had come. Three did very well. They showed themselves to have learned 
and were faithful with the master's money. So he gave them more responsibility according to their ability. One had not learned anything and was worthless. Arrogance, self-will, or pride are self-defeating when it comes to learning. At the end of his servitude, the servant could go out free. Remember, God has said, and when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of the flock, the floor, out of the winepress, of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. This is interesting because according to Eastern culture, the master was to give the servant enough to last a year or to go back into business. When God set Israel free from their servitude in Egypt, he gave them cities and towns and homes already built in the promised land. Crops were already planted. There were barns to put the crops in. God expected these masters to treat these servants the same way. So servitude was not just about being a slave and paying off debt, but God set it up to be a great benefit to the bankrupt man where he could learn how to prosper and not get caught in the same trap again. Number one, his debts were cleaned up. Number two, he had the opportunity to learn how to truly handle money and finances and how to run a business. Number three, he now had it available to go back into business again. Number four, or he could continue to work with the master as a trusted servant, marked out with an awl by the elders at the gate. This was actually a reproof and correction process for wrong thinking. As it says in Timothy, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, which is instruction in right living. If he humbled himself and paid attention, he could learn and start a whole new prosperous life. Now, our relationship with God is not that of a servant. Galatians 4, 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are sons and daughters of God, not servants like they were before the day of Pentecost. We are heirs of God through the work of Jesus Christ. We have God's gift of Holy Spirit born within us, making us his children rather than servants. When it comes to money and finances that God gives us to manage, because it all belongs to him anyway, we cannot sit down face to face with our Father and be taught by him. We receive our instructions from God's word. This would be far better than the Old Testament system. God's wisdom is great, and when it comes to money, he is the best to learn from. We can also learn from others that have been down this same road before. Some of the best authors on Christian prosperity learned after they went bankrupt. Some of the instructions our Father has given us are, number one, be a tither or giver. Number two, also have some to give to those that are in need. Number three, stay out of debt. Number four, save some of the money that comes in. Number five, learn to invest that saved money and see it increase and grow as Joseph did. Now, our service is the same as in the old days. We still serve God in the family business, but our relationship is that of children, not servants. Our relationship is far better than that of servants, and we should do far better than they did as servants. If we as sons and daughters are to be good stewards of his blessings, we need to learn how he expects us to handle his business and the funds he blesses us with. 
Many of God's children, because they've not been taught or have been taught wrongly, are not good managers of the funds he gives. I have known people, myself included, that have tithed all their lives and are still broke or that go bankrupt. The way out of the wrong thinking that leads to these situations is to start with the instructions our Father has left in his word. The Bible says God makes the rain to fall in the and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, an agricultural example. In other words, he provides for all. All prosperity belongs to him in the end. God left us with an instruction book, the Bible, on how to properly handle the funds he gives. Learning how to properly deal with money is partly how we participate in the family business of our Father. It's hard to concentrate on the things of God when we're buried in bills and bill collectors. God's way is much better. His wisdom is the finest. As Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The systems of the world lead to despair. As we show ourselves faithful in the little matters in life, including money, then as the masters in the Old Testament gave their trusted servants more responsibility, God can trust us with more understanding and the true riches of Luke 16. The learning process can take time. This learning process is all part of learning how to live the prosperous life. Well, I wanted to leave you with this quote from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 13 through 19. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies, and all things that thou canst desire are not to be compared to her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. And her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, and by understanding he has established the heavens.